My way of thinking about it would be just, you know, draw your communication back to a human level. See if you can imagine doing what you're suggesting to like a friend. Okay, uh, how about your mom or your dad? How about a new client or somebody you've never met, somebody on the street? Like, does it feel socially acceptable to do any of what you've, you know, you're proposing to those different people? You know, like run the human test. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. CEOs on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you're ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, you'll find a course from today's guest, Matthew Smith. Matthew is an artist, design expert, and the founder of Really Good Emails. Our chat on this episode revolves around the many aspects of our communication culture, that often gets overlooked or taken for granted. In particular, we are bombarded by advertisements and information virtually all day long, and almost all of these subtle stimulants have a robust design process behind them that we don't even realize. As Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. Matthew Smith and I discuss the truth of this statement and even take it a step further by pondering how the manipulation of media through design and craft can often relay more information than the explicit message itself. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator, and today I am with Matthew Smith. Matthew Smith sends really good emails. Matthew, why don't you go ahead and tell me uh, why emails are so important these days? I think they're often overlooked. I think you and I agree on that, and there's something that we need to take more seriously. Would you agree? I do agree. And um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting subject. It's hard to know why they get overlooked, uh, but regularly on the products that I've been involved in, outside contractors or uh, third-party firms, those kinds of folks have been the ones who have handled the email. And it's sort of the last, you know, oh, shit, we forgot our emails. I guess we should do that eventually. And 
the reality is that this is a really core part of your customer journey and your customer experience. And if you're thinking about experience design and the overall you know, full package, uh, email makes up this very vital role of connecting your cons- uh, consumer or your customer back to your product regularly. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of feedback loop, the feedback moment, right? In relationship, it's, you know, hey, Tyler, how was your day? You know, and I send you a text. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, hey, man, you left something over at my house. Uh, thinking I need to pick that up, or do you want me to bring it to you? It's those kinds of moments, you know, worked out, uh, but transactionally, you know, in, in email. And... Uh, oftentimes those are poorly designed, mm-hmm. poorly worded, and there's a reason why the word spam is tied to email and not other stuff, right? And so at Really Good Emails, we say design better, spam never. And that's our sort of our um, slogan and, and what we really care about. It seems to me that social media marketing may have caused people to kind of forget about email and jump to that next train a little bit, if you will, because of how effective and important uh, your sort of public presence is these days. If you aren't on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as a company, let alone as an individual, people might automatically think like, okay, that's weird. Like if you don't have a website, first of all, you know, you need the internet presence, but your social media presence is really, it allows for like a level of transparency because, you know, it's always accessible. You can always be on. It allows for, you know, the visual sort of option for, you know, what goes on at your business. You know, if you're using Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, you know, just constant sort of newsfeed, if you will. And it seems like those things have been really emphasized in the last several years since, since they've come out. And email has been there all along, but it almost seems like it's been a, you know, associated or stigmatized um, just because of what I kind of see as a generational gap where people don't quite know how to communicate with others depending on the situation, whether it's, you know, social versus professional. And of course, because certain people were raised with, you know, texts being their primary way of communicating, like millennials, myself, uh, that doesn't always overlap well with how older people would use email in institutions and in businesses. Do you see a sort of generational gap there that impacts how emails are thought of? That's an interesting question. How emails are thought of is goes back to either the consumer side or the producer side, right? The people who are making the emails. On the uh, consumer side, it's an interesting question. Um, my experience is that it, it's really product dependent, but that people are still expecting that an email will confirm if I've purchased something. An email will confirm if I have subscribed to something. Yeah, so there are expectations and set with what emails can achieve or are supposed to achieve at this that's point. That's right. There are strong patterns of interaction there. And that uh, texting... Um, still feels like a private space. Yes, okay, a business might use it to verify something. They might you know, have uh, two-factor authentication through texting, which is fantastic. But generally speaking, leave my texting alone, stay over here in email, and then web is a space where you know, it's, it's this sort of you know, wilderness. Go out there and do your thing. But email is this, it's like I've asked you to engage with me. I want you to do a service. And so, you know, for uh, my parents, uh, for those people in their 50s and 60s maybe, I think that 
email, you know, is just sort of a, a thing out there. It's a necessity, and and people think about it that way. I think for younger folks, maybe not, you know, the most recent generation that are using tech, but for people with income, emails seem to be still like really a neat opportunity to engage. Right? It's short form content that uh, has a cadence and sets expectations. It's like little web snacks, you know, like you're, you're getting just little pieces of the web, little pieces of content with potential interaction. And the future is that when Outlook and uh, some other technologies are improved, the kind of thing that you'll expect will be, you know, hey, Matthew, you know, you bought, you know, Pamplemousse LaCroix last week. Um, you've been buying it weekly, you know, for two years now you know, set up a subscription, click, and I just click and boom, it's done, right? Like, I don't have to go log in to Amazon or log in to Walmart or log in somewhere. I, I just do it right there for my email. Like, I'm essentially already logged in. And those, that part of technology, the opportunity for me to tell my email client, it's okay if you know this information about me. Uh, I trust you, email client to you know, give me access to that information so that I can use it to basically engage on those little web snacks that you know, uh, email is. So there's just so much opportunity. And I think that more and more, you know, the, the thing is like we're, we're reading our emails in our phones, right? So the next generation is looking to, all right, yes, I want that thing. No, I don't. Click, 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 boom, boom, boom. And, you know, there's some interesting opportunity for uh, all these things. It, if it's not if it's not messaging, it's or if it's not email, it's messaging, right? So it might be through messenger, it might be through text, it might be through email. Honestly, I don't give a crap if it's actually email. It's rich content. These rich web snacks, right? And they're coming through primarily, you know, in email right now, and so that's why I'm interested. It's interesting that you're referring to these things as content, I think. Uh, from my perspective, when I first started using email in a serious way, it was in college, um, which was you know seven years ago to three years ago. And it was with my professors and like with occasionally like an administrator at the group um, or at, at the school. For the most part, it was just very logistical things like... Um, figuring out the answer to a small question or it was submitting a paper or something like that. It was very simple. And for me, that made it, that sort of established email as a way, almost as a bridge between an older generation and my generation where it was like, okay, we get it. Everybody's on the internet now because this was, you know, it was still kind of burgeoning at this point. But, like, we didn't want to be, like, texting our professors because they that just wasn't right. I mean, I don't think that'll ever be totally kosher. Who knows? But it felt like a way to kind of a happy medium of the Internet to communicate with them because we didn't really use our, like, we had Blackboard and other learning management systems. We didn't really use those for, like, um, point-to-point communication unless it was for a specific assignment. So it felt like almost a, a, a bridge between the generations in that way. And that meant to me that this isn't, you know, for content. This isn't for achieving anything but communicating and maybe delivering something. And I think what's become very, very clear in the last couple years especially is that all of these messaging opportunities, no matter what they are, whether it's like, you know, the Messenger, Facebook Messenger, 
or it's email, like you deliver content, you deliver hard information, and you you market, you promote, and advertise on those things. And I still think that's relatively new. It's it almost seems like it's still kind of coming into the public consciousness. That's an interesting point. I mean, the what you're bringing up is that we have these weird contexts, right? So the platform of email, this this space where I get communication from my mom, hey, your dad and I are out in Montana, hope you guys are doing well, here's what's happening out here, and uh, an update from, you know, Google about their new Pixel phone, and uh, hey, your subscription to Amazon, uh, whatever, like is at this point. To like lump all of that into the same space is sort of weird. And I think that's why Gmail, Google are trying to create these sort of uh, almost funnels or, or like uh, layers or segments where, okay, here's your stuff that's more about, you know, transaction and here's like, you know, whatever. That makes sense. But I don't think most people are that like organized in the way they work, right? Like I get what they're trying to do. But I ultimately don't think it's that helpful. I think that the better thing, the more interesting thing, is for email, marketing email, to be more effective, to be something people actually want to get, right? To be something that you are providing a service for and it like really connects. You know, when, when an email really serves a customer, it is unbelievably powerful. Um, for instance, with our emails at Really Good Emails, we get absurd fan mail about them. Like people who just are so thankful for the content, the humor, the, the service it provides of just like having a good time and reminding them not to take life too seriously. And it's, it's like, okay, like they're hiring our emails with their time, you know, and giving us in return like a lot of good feedback and, and their engagement means that we're able to sell sponsorships and so on and so forth. You know, it's just... It's super interesting how this is evolving. Um, yeah, you have so. to like navigate this big landscape of all these different purposes of emails. Like what you're referring to, Gmail has like a social tab, a promotions tab, a primary tab, which kind of I think like takes some guesses as to what really matters to you, depending on what you've done in the past. And then I I tend to just like pull up my all mail when I'm at a time where I know I'm like expecting packages and expecting deals or like news on an event or something like that. I just like leave it on all mail and just let like even spam come through and see if anything's there. And it seems like there's so much to navigate from a marketing perspective because you can't really influence all that. All you can really do is, you know, make sure the email itself is optimized. That's right? right. And it's very strange too. I mean, um, you know, the number of friends I have whose inboxes unread email is in the thousands. Yeah. Like that, that little red dot with, I mean, that would drive me freaking insane. I think that's the case for me, but only my like, <laughs> like secondary email yeah. that I don't really pay attention to. I have to get to inbox zero regularly. Yeah. And so if anything, one, if for me, and this is just me, and it's not how you should think about every customer, of course, but for me, I have to, if it's not something that I really enjoy, unsubscribe. Sure. If it's a company that has sort of opted me in from buying from them and I don't expect to buy from them again or don't really want to know more about their products, unsubscribe. Yep. If it's something uh, like, you know, about business, I like to reply to it with a question or like move it forward and get it out of my inbox, you know? So I'm kind of that inbox zero fan 
But, you know, email is just a fascinating thing. I, I do like this idea of using this metaphor of web snacks because, um, you know, the feed reader was a thing for a while and that didn't really work. Like it was too formalized, this idea of subscribing to content and it made, you know, makes sense for something like podcasts and arguably maybe there are problems with that. But, you know, this, this idea of, of all these blogs and so on and so forth pumping into letting me know that requires that I have a different client. Now I've got to check in with my feed reader and my email and my text and this and the web on the whole. Whereas, you know, email being able to sort of ubiquitously serve that entire purpose is very interesting. And so then the fight becomes, how do I create content that is actually valuable and send it to the right people, you know? Um, I, I said this in the course that we recorded that Seth Godin says something really powerful, which is, you know, stop yelling at the people that are trying to block out all the noise. You can whisper to the people that are dying to hear what you're having to say. And, and I love that. I think there's something really special about that. So you said earlier that you get a lot of fan mail. Um, is this, do you guys have like your own newsletter? Yeah, we send out, right now it's one, but uh, oftentimes two a week. And in that you talk about optimizing emails and making good emails, that sort of thing? Yeah, so we'll, we'll pick a subject uh, like welcome emails or onboarding emails or GDPR or something. Mm-hmm. And we write a funny intro because we're goofy guys and gals. And uh, we, you know, say something funny and then we have a trough of examples of emails that we have loaded onto our site, reallygoodemails.com. And then uh, we give links to articles about that topic and um, usually, you know, share some funny anecdotes and things like that along the way. Mm Um, and you get fan mail in response to these sometimes? Yeah, people will say things like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Or like, <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you're getting emails in response to emails about emails. Correct. You're, you're a few layers of meta deep. Into- <laughs> yeah, we're, it's inception, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, we love it. Um, no, I like it a lot. I, it's when, when you're, fun. I, I visited the website, and I mean, just aesthetically, it's like very pleasing to just the whole page itself, but to see the emails that you've like aggregated that, that look really nice. And this brings up a really important topic, which you have a lot of experience in, which is more broadly design. And I just, I really want to dig into this with you because you probably are the kind of person that sees design everywhere. Um, And this took me a, a long time to sort of get into the mindset of, but when I worked at my college newspaper, I began to realize how much emphasis there was on things just like type and uh, typography, typeface, letting and kerning, all the, the terms about space and all that. Yep. Um, just how big pictures are, where they're located in relation to everything else. And all of these things are like deliberate decisions from somebody in the organization who put that thing together. And I think about like Times Square, how much like does or does not go into the design of the advertising placements there. I don't really know. But just about everything that we see that's, you know, a paid advertisement or promotion and many other things, architecture too, design is huge. And I feel like we overlook that in the same way that we overlook emails where it's kind of like we're trying to get from one point to the other um, and we're not really thinking about the sort of thing in between that is very much like a space for content. And the design of emails is something that really blows my mind. When I looked at your website, I was like, first of all, it's a good website. Second of all, 
seeing these emails. I'm like, wow, I feel like every time I send an email now, I want to like just be better at it, even if it's just like a personal email. But there's so much that you can do in there, and you taught some of that stuff today. Yeah. Um, do you have any like favorite techniques? Probably you mentioned a few, probably just in your newsletter that you have there. Um, do you have any favorite sort of design techniques that you've been able to incorporate into email? Yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning, or it's just sort of like the root of all this is understanding the visual language, right? So the most helpful thing in my entire career, arguably, was just learning that in college from a professor named Richard DeVore, who was my ceramics professor. And he just taught us um, through being kind of an a-hole, like, uh, no, that is not an organic shape F, that is a formal shape or that is a rigid shape. Well, I thought it, no, stop talking. It's not organic. Okay, fine. You know, and he, he taught us like how to um, describe things accurately and how to understand that diagonals create energy and uh, uh, contrast like dark against light creates uh, focus, right? So when you see that contrast, you, your eye drifts to the thing that is higher contrast, where in lower contrast is diminished in its intensity, and so you don't look at it as much. Movement is more intense and like eye-catching than stillness. All these characteristics, right, that all add up to communicating uh, feelings, but also communicating um, hierarchy of information, right? Once you understand that, then you can leverage that to do with uh, visuals, to do with typography, to do with content, really anything you want. The thing is, like most people, they say in their minds, I want to go kind of upper left. And then the email ends up feeling a lot more like lower right because they don't know how to directionally move things the way they want to go because they haven't designed it properly. You know, like design should get business done. That's like a strong metaphor and motto for me in my life, right? Is design uh, can be about purely aesthetics and it can be really interesting in that regard. But like I'm, I'm looking across the way at, you know, this dresser and it looks really, you know, interesting and it's got these metal pieces and aesthetically, um, it it looks you know fantastic. I think it's probably uh, an effective um, set of drawers. But if I go over there and I pull one out and it slips off its track and and or I keep pulling it and the drawer just falls out instead of stopping, that's a failure. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it looks good; it's not doing its job. Like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you start at the base with things that are the strongest, uh, most vital priority, and you move up into other things, right? Like you move from uh, something needs to just simply do its job. Like for a, something as simple as a cup, like a, a ceramic, you know, cup for coffee, does it hold the coffee? Yes. Okay, good. Established. Now, uh, is the handle comfortable? Does it feel good in my hand? Can I hold it for long periods of time? Oh, yeah, it does that too. And then as you move up, is it aesthetically pleasing? Oh, yeah, it's really nice to look at. It feels good to just be with. And then you move into an area of, like, meaning and depth, right? So does something have, like, personal significance? Or is it communicating something at 
like that next level of maybe dealing with spiritual issues or emotional issues or, you know, lots of potential there. And the same goes for an email. Like, is it communicating its most uh, clear thing? What is the minimum viable sentence of this email? Is it getting that across? Is it performing its job that I have hired it to do? With my, I gave the company my email address. Now, are they serving me with that, right? And oftentimes, that's not the case. And, and that's poor design. And that's why I started Really Good Emails, because that was consistently not happening. And that is, that's absurd. The, the web industry has launched forward. Like design is always talked about in that space. And that's the space that I kind of grew up as a designer, right? In the last 15 years, that's how I've thought about things. With the web, right click, view source, everything is out there. With email, not so. It's in people's inboxes. Yes, you can actually dig into the code, but it's only in your own client. So, I mean, a good example would be that in order to start really good emails, I literally had to screenshot emails and then have them stitched together in Photoshop and then post them on WordPress and things like that. That's a huge process compared to, you know, on the web, it's, it's literally just saving a page. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that kind of difference ends up, like, at a technological level, making a difference about the transparency of a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so people just aren't sharing, like, what makes a really good email even though it's an incredibly vital part of the relationship with the customer or the relationship between an organization and its constituents. There's so much opportunity there. And how else are you communicating? You might be communicating in person. You might be communicating in a phone. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people do Twitter these days for customer service, that sort of thing. You know, you mentioned something the other, uh, or a few minutes ago that I thought was interesting is social is is also much, much easier to produce material for. Where email, I think there's something to the quality that it is still using some very old technology in tables, uh, the HTML table form, Mm -hmm. that makes it difficult to build for. And I, I would guess that there is just some emotional hatred from designers and developers for dealing with email. I know I, I hated it for a long time and avoided it. Now there, now there are some really smart design systems and some ways of, of dialing that in so that you're not having to reinvent and recode and redesign every time. But, you know, I think that that's probably kept email behind for a long time. Hey, I hate to interrupt this conversation with Matthew Smith, but I want to let you know where you can learn more from his design expertise and mastery of emails. He recorded a full series of videos exclusively for MentorBox members. So if you want to gain access to that and much, much more, be sure to sign up at MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show. What about this? I think you opened up a can of worms by ruining up Maslow's hierarchy of needs because... When you mention, you know, the, the base level, does it do its job? There's plenty of spaces in our culture, especially in American culture, where that's like no longer a priority, I would argue. Um, or like scarcity and aspiration are like the primary um, motivation for buying certain things. Like I just think of like fashion right away. It's like sure. very rarely are, 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 is like a majority of a market seeking to purchase something just because it's functional on their body, a piece of clothing. And 
That's just the direction that fashion ultimately goes. Sure. So briefly, I would argue that that's because we have an affluent level that has established sort of a a modicum or like a a standard of I've got what I need, more or less. And honestly, at the level that things are selling now, it's closer to addiction and like serving the kind of uh, dopamine hit that comes from a new purchase or a like on Facebook or some of those kinds of things. Yeah, right? no, I'm, I'm really into sneakers, and I definitely would admit that I feel like that is the direction <laughs> that I'm going, like into an addicted level. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right about that. What's intriguing to me is the potential for, like, maybe email to go in that same direction, where, like, what I already think of is, with my own sneakers example... So, uh, how they do it is like you know certain brands will will drop a shoe and it's in limited quantities. So an app will like notify you, and if you don't hit that you know banner notification and immediately purchase it, like you're not going to get that shoe, yeah. um, and you still might not anyway because bots and other things are making it really really hard. But email can have that same I love sort how of personal. This is to yeah you. right. <laughs> I'm very upset about the sneaker industry right now. No, um, this just I think it's an interesting parallel because. They do, some do use email in the same way, mm-hmm. um, where they, they notify you via email if something new is happening, and that actually makes like the email super desirable, which is something that you mentioned earlier, like make it, or you mentioned um, you have people that you can whisper to that, that are like dying to hear from you, right. and I think, I, th- I think it's more of a brand cultivation than just like an email cultivation type thing, but email is a big part of it if they're not you know, crafted the right way, it's not going to work that way. So I see it possible that emails can go in that direction where they're almost like a, uh, a unique opportunity and reward for like, you know, special things. I mean, there are, there's already sales emails every day, it seems, and that it seems like you're saturated with offers, quote unquote, through emails. But if they can really, if brands can really figure out a way to make emails reflective of some sort of scarcity or something significant like that, I think we're, we're kind of move in that direction of like, I don't know, the, the, the affluence, the, the fashion direction where it's like, oh, I got an email from them. Like, I have to take action on this. Or like, this is something valuable. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's different because it's, it's not fashion and it's not something that's, um, you know, a, a physical like commodity by any means, but I feel like it could it can move in that direction if the market and the brands kind of follow yeah. that path. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you know to add on to that is the possibility that the email you get about sneakers is different than the one that you know another guy who loves sneakers, but just different sneakers or doesn't buy as frequently as you do. Yeah. And those are going to be potentially different emails. And there's some fascinating stuff you can do to be effective in that way and send emails that are more pertinent, more personalized. And, you know, GDPR means that some of that, you know, you need to disclose and or there are some new realities about it. But, you know, my opinion is as long as you are actually doing something that is serving the customer, then go have fun. Just make it work. Make it happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for you, for instance, what if you got an email that said, Tyler, uh, you have purchased some of these limited release sneakers the last 
three times that we've released these, we wanted to thank you for your loyalty by giving you a 30-second head start. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I, I think that might already be a thing that some brands do. Or yeah, like, it's so smart. There are things along those lines where I think like Foot Locker's app, if you've spent $300, you get like extra VIP status, and that gives you like a minute head start. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's more in the app than it is in the emails. But I think like the brands that really have that, like the worship for their products, the addiction... <laughs> The scarcity, like, that's oh, definitely yeah. being taken advantage of. So I think that needs to be, like, played very carefully before it start, It hits that realm of, like, you know, lack of ethics. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a really remarkable technique and a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, maybe, you know, that specific example, you know, you border on this area where does the product, does the design need to have an opinion about human health? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. I would argue it does, but many, many don't. But the other way to think about it would be something like, if you know that a customer whose email is barbara at gmail.com, more likely than not, is a female. So you, it's not saying you, you're going to like make a bunch of decisions about her right away, but okay, so thing one. Thing two, she's buying diapers and yogurts and baby food and also alcohol and snacks and uh, seems to be buying the same kind of stuff that a family of four or five does, right, or whatever. Okay, interesting. She's probably a mom, probably tired, probably, you know, has a family of four or five, and, you know, we know a lot about that segment. So what do we do with that? Well, what if you sent her uh, an email that was basically, you don't have to tell her that you know all those things, but you could say, hey, Barbara, thank you for being a customer of ours you know, for uh, the last five years. Um, we partnered with our friends at uh, Urban, Urban Nirvana uh, Massage Parlor, and for you know, 35 of our customers, we're giving a $100 massage and we wanted to send that to you and just say thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, for her, like you've just not only created a unbelievable, uh, you know, uh, a loyal customer, but long term, she's now a marketing champion for you. Like that's somebody who's going to promote your product for years, right? So, but you, if you had sent that to just like random people, then like Rick, who's a single dude and 40, would be like, what the hell? <laughs> he wouldn't know what to do with that. I love, I love so massages. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I would hope I would be like, yeah, I'll get <laughs> But, you know, like for her, it's going to connect in a different way, right? Of and course. so it's going to mean something different. You know, it's, or, or little things like uh, Walmart and other places have started offering um, pickup for a lot of their, um, you know, like when you uh, buy groceries or things like that. For a tired parent, oh my God, mm-hmm. that's so helpful. And, and to get an email that says, hey, you just ordered these things. I don't know if you were aware, but we do have a pickup, you know, which is helpful, you know, if you're a parent or this or this or that. And that kind of stuff, that's a great piece of communication. Again, it's serving the customer, right? So that's interesting to me there because ultimately, who is it, whose decision is it to? 
determine whether something is serving or not. It seems pretty obvious in these examples, but I feel like this is one of those slippery slopes where, like, via extrapolation like this, you know, saying, assuming that Barbara is this and this because this and this, eventually you can get yourself into a a bad position. And I'm not great at thinking of hypotheticals, so I won't go there, but (laughs) you get what I'm saying. Like, you, you never know when you offer something that, for some reason, does not hit, land well with that person. I would think that there are pretty clear guidelines that one could establish that like legally are probably being established right now. Right. But things that are clearly being established to prevent, you know, sort of uh, this arbitration of serving by just um, the, the business, by the company and, and the, those, you know, delivering the emails, I would think that it comes down to things like, I mean, you can't really force anybody to open an email, I guess. But um, keeping things to, like, simple offers and not, like, automatically signing them up for programs or, I I don't know, anything like that. But I I just think it's really fascinating that we're at a point now where we can, where we're using people's, you know, information, whether deliberately, explicitly collected or, you know, sort of extrapolated and assumed to, to, like, serve on that back end. Yeah. I think my... I don't know. My my way of thinking about it would be just, you know, draw your communication back to a human level. Yeah. See if you can imagine doing what you're suggesting to, like, a friend. Okay. Uh, how about your mom or your dad? Okay. How about, um, you know, a, uh, a new client or somebody you've never met, somebody on the street? Like, does it feel socially acceptable to do any of what you've, you know, you're proposing to those different people, you know, like run the human test, you know, just think about like, does it, like, are you being a dick or are you like, like, okay, like this is working. Okay. This feels good. Um, Also just the like permission marketing in general, mm -hmm. like that's just a a nice strategy. If you have the ability to take advantage of that sort of thing, it really yeah. eases it all back. Well, and you can lead with empathy and, and honesty. Like when you say, hi, Barbara, um, we, we actually don't know as much about you in particular uh, as we feel we could. Um, and so right now we are serving you in a limited capacity, meaning we're sending you information about all of our products instead of a very specific few. For instance, Barbara, we'd like, uh, I used to work at an online grocery store called Relay Foods, right? So the reality is that most families shop about 1,000 to 2,000 SKUs, SKUs, whereas most grocery stores have somewhere around, you know, 30 to 50,000 SKUs. I don't need access to all that information. Like, more or less, I want to shop my 1,000 SKUs with with the opportunity to open a door to some of those others, Mm -hmm. right? Well, sometimes it's helpful just to say, hey, Barbara, um, we would love to never send you information about products you are not interested in. For instance, if you have a gluten intolerance, probably shouldn't be sending you stuff about bread, so we'd love to know examples about where, where we can serve you better. Just ask a question. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like going into a doctor's office and the doctor's saying, like, are you allergic to medicines? No. Cool. 
Like no doctor I've ever had has ever logged that and remembered that. They ask me every freaking time. Yeah, right. It's like, come on, guys. Every time, yes. Right? Allergic to sulfur. Yeah. Again. <laughs> and I, I get there's right probably reasons for that. But the point is like, you know, we have the opportunity now as businesses to remember this and to like capture that. So I think these are some of the opportunities that I think get exciting. Like we can actually do some interesting stuff with this data to serve people. There are, there are always going to be crappy people out there that are going to try and abuse this information. And so I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I generally believe in regulation and some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. No, so. I'm on board with that. I think, unfortunately, some of those crappy people already hold a lot of power and yep. are making these things you know, rather fraught uh, endeavors as we move into this sort of email marketing and yeah, digital right. marketing in general. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned just like the human test. Um, we we worked with uh, Gene Bliss who wrote, um, would you do that to your mother? And it, <laughs> it's, that's the whole book. I mean, it's, it's all about like everything in customer service, would you do that to your mother? Like just treat the customer as your mother. Don't make her answer the same question a hundred times because you wouldn't do that to your damn mother. Like, that's it's right. Just, it's very simple. But unfortunately, it feels like a lot of, companies and institutions have just grown to such a size that mm. it's hard to scale back and have the personnel and capacity to mm-hmm. do that. And I think email is a really good opportunity for that. I, I think agree. the communication in there is, is a really good place no, to start cool. that. Great. Well, we can wrap it up there. Um, any shout outs to our audience? They can visit your website, check you out on uh, social media, anything you want them to know about you? Yeah, sure. Well, first, just thank you. Um, I'm, I appreciate your interest, and um, and this is fun. It's really, I like talking about this stuff. It's Me too now. Kind of nerd out <laughs> I, I didn't it. think I would, but I did. <laughs> I love <laughs> to it, To be man. totally honest. Um, no, that's great. Yeah, it's funny. I never thought that I would be somebody talking about email, but I love design, and I love serving people, and I believe in that. Um, you know, really serving people has changed my life, and I want to promote design that actually does that. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, but yeah, reallygoodemails.com. Um, <laughs> Easy enough. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, sign up and get our newsletter and see what you think and, and offer us, um, you know, your insights and your feedback. And please tell jokes. We love jokes. <laughs> um, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Dribble or wherever else uh, as Whale. That is my my handle, W-H-A-L-E. And then um, also uh, I run a design shop called Fathom and Draft um, and love to you know do incredible design work for product and e-commerce, which is, of course, tied into email. So... Yeah, have a ton of fun. I'm, uh, I'm really thankful to be here. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me individually. I love just serving other people and helping them in their careers and talking to new folks. So thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. Everybody else, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts. 
as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast. 